Thank you, worship team. Good morning, I'm Pastor Joy. I'd like to invite you to stand with me for the reading of scripture today. Now, often we put the text on the screen, but it's not going to be there. So if you like to read along, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's red. You can turn to page 829, which is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Or if you'd like to see a movie, you can close your eyes and imagine in your head what this story looked like when it happened. So Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, page 829. Hear with me the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll the stone for us? from the entrance to the tomb. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look. There is the place they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise To you, Lord Jesus Christ, you can be seated. So there is this concept in the social sciences and medicine that is called the presenting problem. That's one of the things it's called, but you might have have done this before. You go to your doctor and say, I'm not sleeping well, or I just lost a ton of weight and I can't figure out why. Or you could say to your mechanic, my car is making a strange sound, right? I mean, this is a presenting problem. It's an evident problem. And then you name it realistically and objectively. This is my problem. Sometimes it's our problem. And Mary and Mary and Salome began this day over 2,000 years ago rather realistically. Their presenting problem, that huge stone, And so they're wondering, will we be able to move the stone away? And they're doing some internal configuring, wondering if if maybe other people would be in the garden that morning, and maybe the gardener, uh, maybe even the soldier set to guard the body. I mean, it wouldn't hurt them to roll the stone away so that some poor Jewish women could honor the dead, rotting body of their rabbi Jesus. It's such a realistic gesture, you know, it's so kind. They want to honor Jesus after the shame and humiliation of his crucifixion. Jesus' torture, his torturing death, was Rome's favorite method of capital punishment. And the women want to put some balm and honor on Jesus' shamed body. So on this day, the first day of the week, three women, Mary Magdalene, 
who Jesus had healed by casting out seven demons from her. Mary, the mother of James and Salome, and they've brought spices. They've bought them, expensive ones, and these are likely poor women. Early in the morning, Sunday morning, they're making their way to the tomb, and as they're walking, they're discussing the presenting problem. It's the big stone, probably one to two tons in weight, placed there so that no one could steal Jesus' body. Matthew's gospel reminds us that the chief priests and Pharisees asked Pilate to make the tomb secure. They said, sir, we remember what that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise again. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples might go and steal him away and tell the people, he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went with the guard and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. It's, it's likely that the seal was something like clay around the rock or even more official, like a cord attached to the stone and then to the rock face of the tomb imprinted with wax on both ends, a wax Roman seal which anchored the cord. I mean, so if you tampered with the seal, it would show. And then, of course, there was the military guard at the entrance, troops guarding a dead body. But the thing the women are worried about isn't the seal or the troops, it's that stone. And as I've pondered this text over the last few weeks, I've been intrigued by how obsessed these women are about this rock. It's the only thing Mark's gospel records them saying. They don't talk about how their hopes are dashed or what they're going to do next after the violent death of their beloved rabbi. They don't talk about how sad they are. It's just all about the stone. Who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? It's so practical, you know? It appeals to someone practical like me. The women are just doing what needs to be done, taking each challenge in stride. It, it kind of reminds me of this last year, you know, for all of us. We've had to approach life so practically, problem after problem after stone after stone, and we could name them, right? COVID-19 to start out with. It's been over a year. Who's going to roll away the stone of COVID-19 so we can just get on with our lives? And we have prayed, and we have worn masks, and some of us have gotten injections, and maybe, just maybe, that stone will be rolled away soon. Things are looking up here for us, right? But I just talked to a friend of mine in England on Friday, and they are still in a full lockdown. She can only leave her house once a day. Hospitals are full. She knows three people who have died. It's pretty bad, folks. Who's going to roll away the stone? And then this has been a year where racial injustice has been highlighted and violence continues. Just this past week, there was new video footage of a woman being physically attacked in New York City because of her race. And to make it worse, no one helped her. I mean, there is a stone of racial injustice and violence and people everywhere wonder, who's going to roll away this stone? And the past 12 months have been a tough year for some business owners. Whether 
people's businesses were harmed by looters or by lockdown mandates or by big box businesses staying open while family-owned restaurants were forced to close. I mean, it's unpredictable and unfair. Who is going to move away the stone from keeping us all from flourishing economically, doing the work we want to do? I mean, then there's people's jobs, of course. Maybe you know people. I know people who've been downsized or lost their jobs entirely during this season. So you go in the cycle, apply for a job, ask your friends for prayer, and it becomes a stone in your life, made worse when well-meaning people like me ask somebody what they do for a living. Who's going to roll away the stone that's keeping us all from flourishing vocationally? I mean, the list could go on, right? The Great Pacific Garbage Patch, A Crisis of Civility, The Culture of Narcissism. These are all book titles, but they are still presenting problems. And then there's, of course, the relational and personal stones that we all have in our life every year. Struggles in marriages, relationships between parents and kids, relationships between friends, school, Zoom school, online bullying, the pandemic of loneliness, or a new disease you've been diagnosed with, or the death or the impending death of a loved one, or just the stone of fear or anger or fatigue from all the bad news. I'm guessing that we all have stones in our life that take our attention, but we have no idea how they'll be moved away. So I ask you, what's your stone today? What have you brought with you here? What are you most torn up about? What keeps you up at night? What is your stone? I mean, we're all kind of like Mary and Mary and Salome, aren't we? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? We are so realistic. We are so good at naming the problems. And our presenting problems are so huge sometimes, aren't they? But when Mary and Mary and Salome got to the entrance of the tomb, lo and behold, the stone is rolled away. It's a miracle! They can do what they wanted to do. They can get to Jesus' body to honor him, right? Relief floods over their faces. The problem is gone. They didn't even have to ask the gardener, much less the soldiers. No troops, no stone. I mean, this makes their work quite a bit easier because now they can mourn and grieve without the Roman soldiers hearing them. The stone is gone and they can anoint Jesus' body. Praise God. And so they go into the tomb. It's dark in there, but light is coming in, maybe like this. And in the light, they see a young man sitting there in a white robe. They don't recognize him. I I think it was an angel. And he says, this is my paraphrase, ladies, don't freak out. I know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. He's been raised. He is not here. Look and see, that's where his body was, past tense, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he'll meet you in Galilee. You'll see him there. He always keeps his word. And the women, they don't ask questions. They don't confer among themselves. They don't pick up the grave clothes and examine them like crime scene detectives. They don't pick up proof or decide together how to respond to the problem. No, they get the heck out of Dodge. They leave and flee for terror and amazement had seized them, and they don't tell anyone because they are afraid. And that, that's the end of Mark's gospel. Now, maybe you have your Bible or the Pew Bible open, and there's other texts there you saw, the shorter ending of Mark and the longer ending of Mark, but we're ending here. 
at verse 8, because that's where the oldest manuscripts of the book end. It's the cliffhanger. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. End of Mark, just like the Empire Strikes Back, back in 1980 when you first saw it, or Infinity War, or the Italian job, the old one. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They didn't even say the stone was rolled away. Well, what happens next? Did they really say nothing? This is a joke, right? There are jokes in the Bible. How do we have the story if they didn't say anything? How do we have the story, Mark's gospel, which we believe Mark learned from Peter, tell the disciples and Peter, but they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And why do we have the story? Who told? Mary? Mary? Salome? You know, women in the first century weren't permitted to testify in court. Their word and their witness was considered untrustworthy. So much for that. But the story continues. What happens next, we have in Scripture. Mark 16, 8 might be the end of Mark, but this isn't the end of the Bible. And besides, if they had said nothing to no one, we wouldn't have this story. They would have taken the day the stone was rolled away with them to their own graves. But you know how keeping a secret is hard, especially when it's a good secret. I mean, especially when it's beyond your wildest hopes. I mean, stone schmoe. The tomb was empty. Their entire purpose for visiting the tomb was nullified. They couldn't do the work they'd come to do. They couldn't use their experience anointing dead bodies. They couldn't use their fancy oils. They had to return it to the shop or save it for the next dead body because while they were concerned about the stone, Jesus had already risen. And that is why Mary and Mary and Salome ran away that day 2,000 years ago. Because people don't rise from the dead. People stay dead. And you anoint their body with oil so it doesn't stink. But here it, the tomb was empty and exited with this weird young man telling them that Jesus has risen. I mean, this is just too good to be true. It's more good than anything they could have ever imagined. They thought their problem was the stone. But that wasn't the real problem. That was just the presenting problem. The real problem was that Jesus had died. That was their problem. That's why the stone was there. But when Jesus is raised, who cares about the stone? I mean, this is crazy town. I'd run away too. The good news that Mary and Mary and Salome experienced was far beyond anything they could have asked or imagined. It reminds me of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a church he ministered to, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. But sometimes we don't imagine. We just look down at our next presenting problem. We are so practical. We just worry about those stones. We've been waiting for COVID to be rolled away. We've been waiting for political peace. We've been waiting for schools to be reopened, for family dinners to resume, for the extreme fringes to calm down. And we've been waiting for these so much, so hard. All we're thinking about is the stone, praying it will be rolled away. And then when it is rolled away, we just go about our business, buying the ointment to anoint the dead bodies. But we've missed the point. While we are concerned about the presenting problem, Jesus is already risen. Because it's not about the stone. 
So what about the stone? They, they could have just found someone to roll the stone away, and the women could have honored Jesus' body and its kind and good and closure, but he would have still been dead. And that day would have been like any other day. Some women go to honor the body of a dead revolutionary. But this day, this day it's not about the stone. It's about the empty tomb. It's about how Jesus was alive. And then he was killed and then he rose from the dead. And this is the solution that solves all those presenting problems before. Because the truth is, even if you don't get COVID ever, and I hope you don't, you will still die one day. And the truth is, even if we become a racially just society, which is good, and I hope and pray that we do, we will still hate our family members and our neighbors and our enemies sometimes in our hearts. The truth is that even if you've had a hard time financially or if you've had a good time financially this past year, money can't buy happiness or true friendship or a good marriage or peace with God. Because all these stones are just that. They're stones. They're the presenting problem that block the problem behind it all. And this is the problem that all people, all of us, me too, we're all sinful. I tell kids this means that we choose our own way rather than God's way, which takes us on a path away from God. It means we're wounded and hurting. And as I tell my kids, hurt people hurt people. And these hurt people, us, we create a mess of problems all over the world, and then we die. Because the real problem isn't the stone, it's the tomb, it's death and the sin that leads to death. But we can't defeat death. We can only delay it or make it more comfortable. We can't defeat sin. We can't defeat it with laws or guns or rallies. But Jesus can defeat sin. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is God's defeat over sin and death. Did you know that when Jesus died, he became sin? Scripture teaches this. When Jesus died, sin died. Now, maybe you're asking in your mind, but here are all those examples of sin and woundedness you've just named. How can that be true? I would say good listening. Consider this, though. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection is a little bit like D-Day in World War II. And for those of us who haven't reviewed World War II history in a little bit, that's the day the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy in France. And this is considered the day the Allies won World War II, but the war wasn't yet over. And that's what it's like, kind of. Jesus' death and resurrection was D-Day, and now we're all waiting for the victory to be finalized, like it was on May 8, 1945, when the Nazis surrendered, right? And the war was completely over. And so, friends, this victory of Jesus over sin and death, through his life, death, and resurrection, it's happened already. God has won, and now we're just waiting for the war to be over. We're waiting for the final surrender. But God, through the work of Christ, has already defeated sin and death. World War II is a historical fact. It changed the world, and we're still experiencing its influence today far more than we know. But Jesus' resurrection is a historical fact, too. It changed the world. It changed Mary and Mary and Salome. It changed Peter when he eventually heard their story. 
and millions of individuals and families and communities in the past 2,000 years all around the world. It has changed me, and it can change you too. If you focus not just on the presenting problem, but on God's solution to the real problem, and that solution is Jesus, fully God, fully human, completely sinless, but completely experienced in what it's like to be a human, temptation, pain, frustration. Jesus, by the power of God, defeated sin by becoming sin and defeated death by rising from the dead. We celebrate today that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you think about it, right, it's super shocking. I know, it's it's beyond our wildest imaginations. It really makes sense that the women ran away with fear and amazement. And so this surprise ending of Mark leaves us with an invitation. Will we too believe? Will we respond with fear and amazement and run away? And maybe at first we will. But just like these women, beyond the walls of what we see and the words of the story itself, you begin to believe, to trust the hope beyond hope that God has come to us in the person of Jesus and revealed hope for an eternal life of truth and beauty and goodness with God. And this belief, it's not just an intellectual mind thing. It, it changes our whole approach to living, our entire life, all those presenting problems I mentioned earlier and all the ones you thought of I didn't mention. Because the way of Jesus is about both hope for the future, but also it's about learning from Jesus, the master teacher, the one who was perfectly human now. Because Jesus' teaching offers us wisdom and joy now when we face all those presenting problems. Remember, the stone was rolled away. Jesus took care of their problem, right? Jesus offers us wisdom and joy as we approach every aspect of our life. Every aspect, attitudes, habits, relationships, your whole mindset, what you think of, the first thing you wake in the morning and last thing before you go to sleep at night. And if this is a new idea for you, I want to invite you to consider exploring what it means to live a life of hope in the work of Jesus here with us at Hinsdale Covenant Church. I'm glad you're here for Easter, but faith is a weekly and daily and moment-by-moment opportunity for us to follow the Lord. So next Sunday, we'll be starting to learn about the prayer we prayed earlier that many of us might pray even every day, the Lord's Prayer. And how these few words change how we understand and experience the world because of how we understand and experience God. Join, join us and explore with us how God has revealed in Jesus, in Scripture, the hope he offers in the face of all our presenting problems and our eternal problems. So let us together proclaim what those women did eventually proclaim together. Christ is risen Christ is risen indeed. So, you know, one of the things Jesus did a lot after he rose from the dead? He ate. He ate fish and bread. And sometimes people wonder, I think, will I eat in the new heavens and the new earth? And I think, yes, you will. Resurrected people enjoy food. We can hope for holy feasts eternally with one another and with Christ. So, friends, let us now celebrate the feast of God for the people of God.